Welcome to Teaching Artist Podcast, a show dedicated to discussions of teaching art to kids, making art, and how those things overlap and feed each other. I'm Rebecca Potts, your host, a visual arts teaching artist. loved reconnecting with Pamela Allen. She has always been an artist. Her love for teaching came when she was managing a bush camp in Malawi and decided to volunteer at the local school. From there, she went on to teach in India after an artist residency there moved her to get involved in the community, and then in New York City where I met her. She has taught all ages and continues to teach as a teaching artist for several nonprofit organizations working in schools and senior centers. We met when I helped manage art education programs for the Brooklyn Arts Council and got to visit her classrooms to see her in action. It was such a pleasure getting to connect with her and hear more about her background and her artwork. Pamela Allen is a Jamaican-born, Brooklyn-based artist who uses artifacts from her own life experiences pulled out of the chaos of memory and observation. Pamela's work is layered in process. Mixed-media paintings, printmaking, sculpture, papermaking, installation, photography, video, essay, and prose all combine to create her own archetype, a universal language of images found and remembered that speaks to the diversity of her Jamaican-African heritage and lived experiences traveling the world over land and sea. Pamela has been traveling and producing art for over 25 years. She has participated in traditional studio residencies, created commissions for corporate and private collectors, curated art exhibitions, and shared her arts process in underserved communities in Africa, India, and New York. I loved talking with her, but our audio was not the best. We had some audio recording difficulties, so bear with us. She's got some amazing insights, and it's worth listening and dealing with the kind of not-so-great audio. So thank you for listening. Let's dive into our conversation. So welcome, Pamela Allen. I am so excited to talk with you and reconnect with you. For anybody listening, I worked with Pamela many years ago in Brooklyn when I worked for the Brooklyn Arts Council. So hi, welcome. Hey, Rebecca. So good to reconnect with you. Gosh, I can't believe your time has flown. Yeah, I know. I was thinking back, like, what year was that? That was like 10 years ago. (sighs) It's crazy. (laughs) So... I might know some of this, but I would love you to just share sort of your background and how you became an artist, how you became a teacher. Uh, did one come first and and just sort of talk through your background? Art, artist definitely came first. Yeah. Born in Jamaica, raised here in the States, started making art where I understood the last time and this was a good place, a comfortable place to be. I would say probably like five years old. It stilled me. Uh-huh. And family like, oh, she seems still when she does this. Here, have more art supplies. Here, have, you know, it's your birthday. Have art supplies. Oh, it's Christmas. Have art supplies. Oh, I need a poster made. You know, make, make me a poster. So there was a lot of encouragement. Yeah. Always. That's great. Coming up. And so it just became a language that I always used. Yeah. I could understand things in those terms. If I, you know, I had a hard time with math, I figured it out. I saw it, visualized it. I understood there was, I understood it, its place of usefulness. So, you know, as, as just, I've always made art my entire adult life. I've been an artist over 35 years, career as an entrepreneur, exceeding, failing, traveling lots all over the place. Africa and East and Central Africa in Kenya, Tanzania, Malawi. That's where I found teaching arts. Went up at the school and just made some art with the kids. Yeah, that's amazing. And uh, just with whatever I had. First class, I actually, first class, I had nothing. We made drawings in the soil outside. Wow. 
that's sort of extremely appropriate right now for <laughs> the situation a lot of art teachers find themselves in. I, I think so. You know, just to sort of, and, and that's the process as I understand it for myself and how I like to, the, the, the means by which I share the, the process in the classroom, right? Or whoever the population is, mm-hmm. has to be um, basic because it is basic. Yeah. And how did you initially connect and, and start teaching there? Well, I was spending a lot of time between Kenya and Malawi. I fell in love with Malawi in a village called Kandy, which is like 100 Ks north of the big city. Uh-huh. Sorry, south of the big city. And just the village that lived a couple of Ks off of a, a lake that was rented by a dude who had a bush camp, had an overland shop. So I ran the bush camp. Yeah. Ah, uh, amazing. Yeah, it was just a way to hang out and stay in one place and not have to, because I was backpacking across Africa, you know what I mean? So I wasn't, it was, it was just a way to, you know, bush camp, tents, beautiful by the lake, and there was the village, and there was the school, and there was the clinic, any of us who came and stayed, you know, whatever, however we could get stuff, or the folks who were our friends, and the village took care of us. And really took care of us because there was a lot of malaria there. And so it wasn't like we weren't conquering no Westerners, saving Africans. Let's put it that way. We were living in community. So yeah. it was just natural to, you know, link up at the school and visit the school. And so that's how it began. And then, you know, there was a big run on pencils and paper because huh. the schools are so under supplied so right. I you know I just go and drop off stuff whatever I could whatever I had with me I, that's how we sort of develop the relationship yeah that you're sort of sharing with them yeah and hanging out and seeing seeing what you know seeing what the classroom looks like yeah what's going on there yeah that's <laughs> that's such another like a totally different world too when you think about what we think of as, you know, the under-resourced and underfunded, which they are, but just it's a different level here. It's a very different level here, but fundamentally it's the same. Mm-hmm. It's the same. It's the same. It's a, it's a mindset that drives a desire to incorporate the arts and an understanding of how it incorporates in day-to-day life anyway, and then you know, a mindset that sees no value. yeah. It's, it's always the same. It's just manifested mm-hmm. in the village or in Brownsville, you know, in, in Razan Kunch in, in, in New Delhi. It's the same mindset. Yeah. And did those experiences, did teaching there impact your artwork? Did that change the way you were making or what you were making? It did not. Uh-huh. What it did do, which was valuable, was that it gave me, it, it helped me to evaluate my process. Because in order to share the process, I'd have to evaluate it. So, uh, yeah, I guess it does impact my art making. It's just easier for me to manipulate the things I yeah. But like I always teach what I'm doing because I think for some element of it, I think that makes it fresh. Yeah. And then how long were you there? Were you there for years and then you came back to the States and wanted to continue teaching or sort of, oh, I guess, how did you end up teaching in Brooklyn? That happened. Well, it was the first time I was in Africa. Then the second time really was India. Mm-hmm. And that was right before I started at Brooklyn Art Council. And that sort of solidified the desire to sort of, okay, let's just do this in, within a system. Yeah. Um, and with, with the special ed population. Right. It's right after that. I, I did a paint, I did a residency, a painter's residency for a couple months. And then just because of the way the children were just, uh, the street kids, it was just so heartbreaking. I couldn't really process how such a big and wealthy nation with so much spirituality could have so many kids needed so much. But I, so I found this school to volunteer at. And that's sort of, I found the people who were doing good work and, you know, rebalanced myself. Because it, at this school, actually, Pakistan, it's a school for the economically, physically, it's basically for, you know, anybody with special needs across the spectrum. Mm-hmm. With prosthetics, needing prosthetics, a lot of kids who had polio, who lost limbs. Wow. Have limbs, you know, who need racing, lots of kids in wheelchairs. Just really the schedule passed. You know, these folks who have, were at the lowest rung of the spiritual society. Right. But this school is incredible. It's a K-12, and these kids are learning everything. They're learning writing, they're learning printmaking, they how to make their own prosthetics. 
incredible. So I, with the other painters, that other artists that were also in love, we volunteered and we worked with the school and did a massive mural in their life. Amazing. And that was, you know, just my first time working with that population. Just all these kids. What? Oh, incredible. And that was it. That was a wrap. Uh, I was like, okay. So, okay, now. Yeah, I, you're I, like, I'm sold. <laughs> right, because I've been looking at it. I was working in fashion and making my art huh. before getting into teaching. And you know, I was doing all of my reading about therapy. Yeah. Trying to figure out how, you know, to do this stuff and have that experience. And I said, like, okay, I can't do it. I'll just check it out. Well, was around New York and it's about just connecting art to community as a and it's a key, it's important for artists to sort of step out of studio and do that, do something out of studio. Right. Yeah. To get out of, out of your own head a little bit as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And then do you feel like that work in the community, does it now impact your art making? Or is it more just as this, you know, way to continue being part of the community there? I think I really, I, I, I enjoy watching folks take certain steps, take the same steps to make something. Mm -hmm. This is intriguing to me. Yeah. It's part of, you know, you can make the same piece. You know, you're an artist. You can make the same, you can use the same colors, the same materials, the same lines, make the same piece, but every time you make it, it's Right. So I enjoy watching that happen for myself. I enjoy watching it. I enjoy watching the discovery of that. I feel like I'm enjoying Mm -hmm. it. So... In that way, it definitely impacts my art. Like, I really like to see it. I also think there's like, it's a high vibrational moment. Yeah. You know, so you can't help but like to get hit with a plot. Yeah. It's a nice moment. Yeah, totally. You're you're teaching now elementary and then also working with seniors, is that right? Elementary, high school and seniors. And middle school. Everything. Okay. So a pretty big range. Yeah, it, it seems to be. I mean, I really like high school. I, I like them all. I really like high school students. Yeah. They're just, I, I just love the attitude. They just have an attitude. <laughs> yeah. It's fun. I just really enjoy them. They just can't be bothered. Yeah. They, they kind of have it sus that they don't know they have it sus. Yeah. Like they're annoyed. They should be annoyed, but they don't know exactly <laughs> why they're annoyed. Interesting to watch them work it out. Yeah. It's so interesting also to be able to have almost adult conversations Mm -hmm. with students after, you know, after teaching at the elementary level. It's almost refreshing to to talk to them like adults. Isn't it sad? (laughs) It's like, oh, you were just sarcastic. Wow, that was fun. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And what would you say is your sort of teaching style? It just seems like all the space needs space in a way. That always surprises me. Do whatever you want to what do you mean? I want so it's almost like you have to leave space. You have to leave space for those who are sort of trying this new technique, trying this thing you're asking, uh, or this basic simple thing you're asking. It's like you have to leave space for them to find their space. It seems that folks respond. This is across the board age groups. You give them direction and tell them exactly what they're doing. They resist less than if you just say, "Hey, do whatever." So that's that's leading to a even more relaxed. Mm-hmm. And does it change a lot with the different age levels? No, I do basically the the same thing with everybody. I just I do the same things with all the ages. Right. Because I'm doing the same things I do in this. Yeah. So basically, just treat them like artists. Always. Yeah. Because I mean, why? Why else would I bother being there? Why would? Right. You know, why would I want to waste their time? <laughs> I, I can only bring my practice wrapped in pedagogical language for the whatever the administration or the institution I'm in. But like, but you know, there has to be again making space for their. It's almost like I, I find that sharing process turns into redefining things. Like, what is a mistake? If I'm working in a sketchbook and make a drawing and make a line out of like, I rip out the paper, crumple it, and throw it away. <laughs> you know, it's like allowing for the mistake. It's okay. You, it's a mistake now because it's not what you intended to do, but you can leave it, turn the page, and later on you can build on that one line. It's, it's a start. Right. So it's almost like re to re-education. It's re-educating folks to what freedom 
Yeah. Creating rules for freedom. Yeah. <laughs> right? So that folks feel comfortable being free. Right. They have rules to go by. This is what it is to be free. What is it to be free? There are no mistakes. What do you mean by there are no mistakes? Yeah, but it is, I mean, it's that thing where it's like, if you have too much choice, it becomes paralyzing. It's impossible to to make the decision. If you have that completely blank canvas with no rules, no parameters, it's, you know, just too scary to make the first mark. So yeah, giving giving some rules, giving some parameters is is freeing. I know it sounds like the way you said it, it sounds almost funny, like rules for freedom. <laughs> But it totally makes sense, right? Yeah, and that's what we're living right now, right? You can see it. Imagine handling your classroom the way you know, the government is handling, Ugh. you know, <laughs> stay in place. Oh, just, okay, you know what, you guys? Work, but, you know, I'm just work. Right. They'll be like, I'm on my phone, I'm working. <laughs> I'm chatting in the corner, I'm working. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I was like creating definitions. It's so crazy. Creating yeah. parameters. We all need parameters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because if you don't, if it's all chaos, then you end up with like a really muddy canvas like I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know. Yeah, I, I'm experimenting a bit with radical choice in the classroom. And sometimes it does turn out that it's just a bunch of mess. <laughs> And I try, I'm trying really hard. I go around and you know, talk with each student about what it is they're doing and what their like intentions are. (laughs) And then also trying to not focus on my adult aesthetic and like, let there be a kid aesthetic. But at the same time, it's like, okay, is this just, is this the scribble stage of this material for this kid? Or are they just kind of goofing off? Like you have to, you know, suss that out. And I was like, what am I being? Am I being played right now? Because they're really intelligent. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the problem. They're all really intelligent. And they can suss you out yeah. while you're sussing them out. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, there's, there's, there's a double sussing going on here. You might think they have, you have them figure it out. They think they have you figured out. And maybe we all don't know anything, or maybe we all have each other figured out. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's all fun in the end. Yeah. Are you playing me? <laughs> No, especially with those little faces. Oh, totally. And my, I have a four-year-old now who she's very, she really likes to be able to paint. And now she's great with colors. And, you know, I've probably told her way too many times, don't forget to wash your brush in between the colors. (laughs) But there's times where she wants to just experiment And, you know, now I know with her that it is, I want to find out, I think if I mix these two colors, it might turn brown, but I'm going to do it anyway and like, see what happens. See what kind of brown it is. Yeah. And that type of experimentation is great. It's, it's harder when it's students that I don't know as well and trying to figure out like, are they really experimenting and really trying to learn something through this process? Or is it just you know, throwing all the colors around and like making a big mess. And I guess either one is really okay, right? Yeah, I mean... Like it's all the process. It's exactly. It's about oftentimes, you know, I always like to bring intention into it. Yeah. Like this is what you're going for. This is the action you're going to take. Yeah. It's really just about the action. It's not about the work, what it looks like. But yeah, it is, but that comes as a result of the action. Right. So that's, it's I take up, take away the pressure. So I, by showing the action. Yeah. That's where the little one, but yeah, like if I'm doing the abstract flow sketch, which I think I was doing when I was, you were there, it was always the same, you know, make the circles, hold the pencil, you know, identify the center of the page. Yeah. You know, don't pick up the pencil, make circles, make triangles, make squares, make heavy lines, make do that exercise every time. When you count the shapes, notice the shapes created by the intersecting lines, then you count the shapes, then we add color to the shapes, and you don't add the same color next to each other. So really basic, I do it every first class, it's a perfect assessment tool. Mm-hmm, totally. Everyone's making something, no one fails. Yeah. And hitting all your sort of fundamentals. Yeah. I love that there's also so much looking involved, that that's, that's a big part of it. 
setting intention, you're, you're understanding how you're holding the pencil, mm-hmm. how you're making the lines, what the heavy line looks like, what the light line looks like, what the angle with the pole looks like, what the shapes are. Yeah. You're engaged in the process. You're listening, you're taking prompts, you're following instruction, you're repeating the action these two times, and then you're choosing the one that represents the simplest, best shapes, counting them, and every, you're hitting every kind of button that exercise. Yeah. And then that leads that leads you leading into ground contour drawing, mm-hmm. that leads you into contour drawing of all kinds, observational drawings, each other and others. Yeah. And it's cheap. Yeah. Your pencil paper and some marker watercolor. Right. And it's something I do. I mean it's what I do. It's my duty basically. It's how I do it. Uh-huh. It's great. And just intersecting shapes and lines and curves. Yeah. And it works with all ages. All ages and, you know, all, if it's in a PD with teachers, then you guys have made your own coloring book pages. You know, it's like whatever language mm-hmm. that resonates with the population. Yeah, that's great. Think spirographic. Yeah. Think spirographic. Oh, totally. Are there any other favorite lessons that you would want to share? Um, the color mixing exercise is always fun. And that's just you know, if you're using, let's use visualization in the beginning of the classroom, right? Whether it's stand up mountain pose, visualization, center and something center. So if you're doing something like that, then I like to bring in visualization. Yeah. Combine that with color mixing, right? And you, I like to do rare memory color mixing. So you center yourself, you're comfortable in your body, and you get out, and you bring yourself to fantastic day. You remember you're there, you're out, we're focusing on breath, and in there, you're looking, you're seeing. It's a quick, I don't know, it's going to go for like, you're just really using calm voice to guide. Yeah. A few minutes, and they're holding on to the English colors. Then you bring them out of it, and one color that they, that really hits them the first, the most tangible color. Mm-hmm. It's a sky, a water, another way of going about it is just get their colors ready. You're talking about your primary. You generally just call out and let people raise hands. So those who know can share and those who don't remember. Hopefully listen. They listen and you can instruct them to mix the color of the sky on a sunny day at 12 noon and mix that color. Then you ask them to mix the color of the leaves in springtime mm-hmm. when they first open up. I do that with my senior. And then they seem to like come up with a palette of, you know, by mixing primaries. Yeah. They create their own palette. Yeah. Nice. I know there are lots. There's lots of lessons. There's so many. Yeah. Well, I love the centering, the visualizations that you do there with with the color mixing. Yeah. That's helpful for. It's really helpful for seniors, especially. You know, I had some, and there were few seniors that went well into Alzheimer's, and the color mixing mm-hmm. is a challenge for them remember then the other seniors helped them out sitting at the table so it was an int- it was interesting to see how that where the challenges lie yeah and that's another thing that's interesting that happens in the process and teaching about process and about sharing process same thing also that happens when you're showing your work and when I as an artist am showing my work to you know, the population the questions the feedback the observations on work because I do sh- I share I show my work yeah the visual and pretty often so that that exchange that happens the discourse around the, the meaning that individuals take in the observing of each other, the encouragement, the self-deprecation that's always the same mm-hmm. when folks make artwork. You know, they made something that's beautiful, they're being praised, and it's saying, well, well, I'm not an artist, uh. I'm not. A, you know, it always comes back to that experience that they had, some knucklehead, you know, Says something terrible about something amazing they made when they were right. little and they were sharing it. And I'm stuck with that. If I push further, nine times out of ten, they will tell me when they remember when it happened. They remember this. Oh, yeah. So then with the. It really sticks. Yeah. With the, with the little ones, then. I feel like it's it's doubly our job to just build them up and encourage them and say, like, don't listen to those voices. Yeah, no, I mean, like, because you ask a kid what, whatever it is, that, whatever that thing is that they made, they will have a full-on explanation for it. They know what they're doing. Yeah. Really, you know what I mean? They're just doing it in a language. They're doing it in a language. Yeah. It's visual language. And who's to say? Who's to say what is... What is good or... 
know, we have certain parameters and benchmarks. Yeah, sure. Yeah. The speech and motor skills and development and all of that stuff. But like, you, got, you, you have your little story all worked out. Okay, I'm listening. Yeah. You know, who am I to say that your what your story is invalid? No, I'm listening. Yeah, and sometimes that's all you have to do is you know just listen, be there, and and hear what they have to say, and create the space for them to hear each other. Yeah. No. First, create the space for them to just get down with it. Straight. Make some make some marks on this. Yeah. Whatever marks you make cool, as long as they have marks. And then, you know, then the next step is share. Mm-hmm. Shifting gears just a little bit, could you talk a little more about your own work? You were just talking about sharing it with your students of all ages. Could you, I know this is a hard thing, I feel like, for visual people, but could you try to describe your work for someone who hasn't seen it? I would say it's probably abstraction, it's contour lines, mm-hmm. and it's I make just from memory. It starts from a sketch. Yeah. So in one way, it's quite traditional. And then in another way, it's just the way I build the images together is, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's expressionism bordering on surrealism bordering on, bordering on the representation. I, I, I honestly, my work is very uh, traditional and it's really my background is abstract pieces, and I create my line work of self-portraiture separate. I take my own photographs. I write my own words. I create my own collage elements. I photograph painting and then teach it and then collage it into another painting. I always start out with a line drawing, drawing on paper. And I find that if I work from memories of lots of images that I see, because we're always recording, it's not that hard. Yeah. We do it all the time. That's how we live. Yeah. Constantly have. We're always recording. Yeah. So I'm just sort of capturing them. And if I do it from memory in a really sketchy way, then it helps me to, they're never perfect, but they are a snapshot. A couple of seconds in time, so it's like a, a almost like a stop motion in reverse. Uh. That's how I'm remembering. So that's how I'm sketching. So the mandala pieces are generally reproductions of pieces that I've made already that are incorporated into circles. So then is that photos that are repeated and collaged, or is it, how are those mandala pieces? Sometimes they're little, a lot of little prints or a lot of little handmade sculptures or photos of images that I've printed out and then I've got collaged in. My work is really layered. I use mm-hmm. sand and I use Oof. glass and I use yeah. Soil, fabric. So the original pieces, you know, that might be a representational self-portrait. That goes, that sells. And I keep, I hoard my images after they're gone and I reappropriate them to. Yeah. Ah. Work in series of images. So I, I get to sort of layer up stuff in some work. Right. Uh, I love all that texture, all those materials. Ooh. Really loving it. So I'm pouring paint and then I'm rolling over it and then I'm scraping away from it and collaging on top of it. And I'm, these days I'm putting the lines on last. So I take the lines, these are working on self portraits that I've been doing for years. And it's, I just keep reappropriating them until I'm getting them right. I haven't gotten them yet. Because sometimes it takes five, six years to build up a background, a layer of white light. You see it in the work. I mean, you see it in the business. So the self-portraits, that's what I'm working on always. But these days, self-portraits that I took of myself when I was in the middle of making this series of paintings. I just happened to have a camera because I was shooting work on the wall. Right. So everything is a self-study. Yeah. Call themselves things. They just might they might be mandala as sand. One of my kayak images images from a little boy that I was friends with around. Pictures of driftwood that I took. Ah, forever. Like, you know, these glass beads that I got some right. construction beads to give me <laughs> that I love. It's like just whatever I can layer in. Then the hummingbird is a big theme for me. The dragonfly is a big ah, And what's the meaning behind those? It's, it's It seems like all of the cultures around the world sign meanings to things, right? That fly. Yeah, yeah. Things that have certain attributes. 
and the hummingbird. For me, the, the dragonfly was a story that I grew up with that always tortured mm. And, you know, I hated it. Yeah. And one day he tied a string to the end of the dragonfly, and the dragonfly oh. chewed his own tail off to get away. And I just thought, wow. Badass. You're a badass. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're a badass. Oh, so that was like, like honestly, that was one. And every time I was by the river, every time I was by the water, I was dragonfly. You know, as I began to study all the different cultures, their relationship to nature. So that is what my work is about: is about nature, also nature, spiders. These creatures, like the dragonfly, it's Japanese, the Jamaican. Uh, the Incas, the Aztecs, Luke, the Sudanese, everybody has a meaning. Everybody has a benevolent understanding. Dragonfly and a hummingbird. Mm-hmm. You know about a hummingbird? It dies every night or it actually slows its heart all the way down. Wow. Its wings beat in the pattern of vigilant, which is infinity. That's why it can backwards and slow down. It's the most versatile fly there is. It's hard. It's the biggest in relation to its body. Huh. It's an incredible, incredible creature. It lives on the edge of life at all times. It's like, I need to eat every uh, 10 minutes. Everything I do is like burning up all the food here in front of me. Wow. On this planet. It's amazing. They're incredible. Oh, yeah. And the text that's in my work is often text about HGL, who is this cute, who is the god, who is jealous male moon man or something like that, and struck her down. And it was a flock of dragonflies brought her back to life after like the jealous moon. And there are all these stories, all these myths that link up flying things, our human existence to be mystified. So it's like, I guess precursor to God. Yeah. It's this beautiful things that we fly and move and do things that we couldn't do. So that's, right. that's me and these creatures. It's all about me and these creatures and us and you and you observing. Yeah. Just storytelling. I think each artist has to tell their story from their own perspective. That's the only Yeah. And I love that idea that you're making self studies, but then you you become like the universal person or woman almost. That your your self studies are totally about you, but they're also about just being human. Yeah, they're the result of the observation because we observe. Mm-hmm. We observe a lot. We feel like it's part of our job. Yeah, that's what we're hardwired to do. Completely. And who would you say are your your biggest influences in your work? Oh. Like, are there other artists that you just love that you can't get enough of? Or is it more of the the myths and, and stories? Is that more inspirational for you? Observing And there are artists that I like. I think the things that I like about them is the trajectory of their lives. Their yeah. How they live their process. Yeah, it's so interesting to hear that because I feel like I've asked other artists this question and I've heard similar responses that people will say, well, there are artists that I really like the artists themselves and sort of their life and their process more than, yeah, their work's great or whatever, but <laughs> it's more about the person. It's so interesting to me to hear that. Yeah, I mean, and I'm, I'm happy we're time more documentation on the lives of artists. Yes. I just love to be a documentary and I, I really love to hear about how artists live their lives and how they got on with things. Yeah. It's really intriguing to me. And, and especially other women. Especially, it's like talk about a star living on a starvation diet. Come on, we've been like, oh. we've been starving. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just I'm just intrigued by all of them, all of them, all of them, really. Like any any knowledge that I can get, I'm always interested in how this individual walks their life as an artist. Yeah, it's gotta be. It's not easy. It's never ever. Yeah, and how do you how do you do it? How do you kind of balance? teaching with making and then are you selling work are you trying to sell work how do you kind of balance all of that it's you know to be an entrepreneur uh-huh there's one thing to be an entrepreneur and you're selling somebody else's product right right you know you're making product and then you have to sell it if that's what you want to do if you want to make a business yeah it's a challenge yeah it's a 24 hour day. It's, if you're good with the making not so good Mm-hmm. Making and teaching. If you're making and teaching, and you, I mean, I don't have kids, right? I don't 
I don't have a man in my life. I have to like put the socks. Like, <laughs> so I can't imagine you know, how it manages the image of marketing family and the you know, career bringing money. You got to have two jobs in this world to kind of wealthy. Right. If you're lucky enough to be, like, that ain't easy. So like I have to work and market and make, and that's enough for me. I mean, I'm already like, bam. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, and then add, add teaching in there. And then add. Yeah, I mean that's that's the work. That's the work. Yeah. It's like you make you make your you have to make your art and you have to market. Mm-hmm. You have to like step outside your studio to you know bring that other income in. Right, and then I mean even if it's just you, you still have to take care of yourself. That's right. Yeah. So it it's a balance. Yeah. I'm trying to finish. I just did this past summer. Awesome. Yeah. And you know, killed me. Oh. But, you know, it's like it's also it's not. It's construction work. It's fancy <laughs> construction work. Same thing we are all. Oh. Yeah. Face yeah. it. Like, people are like, you are like Michelangelo. I'm like, trust me, it's not romantic painting ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It's tiring. Yeah, I saw you had a little video of like a snippet of that. It does look tiring. Give me a negative, don't it? Oh. Just looking at it. <laughs> Everybody says that. It's like, yeah, trust. It's like, that was terrible. That was two months in an hour. Oh. Not fun. Not even a little. It's really intense. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, honored to have done it and proud and all that stuff. But like, no, it wasn't fun. I mean, whoever thinks being an artist is fun is like, they don't know the real. It's hard work. It's work. It's good work. It's work you love, but it's hard work. Yeah. Especially just thinking about all of the challenges and all of the barriers that there are to making what you really like would love to make. So if I could take away all those constraints and barriers, what sort of project would you want to do? Oh, well, it would be you. And give you whatever funding and resources you need. This is like in the dreamland. Yeah, no, it would be the art garden. No, absolutely. Yeah. Grow stuff, see, plant, illustrate. Mm. And then you, know, you have like sound lady that was in her botanical garden. And you have sound people now who are sort of wiring up plants. Uh-huh. And they're making, well, I mean, there are a few artists doing sound installations. Right, yeah. You know, with plants drinking sound that they make. Oh. Sound that their root structures make. You know, I've had like stuff like that. But I'm like, does that have a rescue? By, um, you know, just sort of have that obvious connection to nature, outside spaces, all living things, and then, you know, the process, how we interpret it through these senses, not well to use them this way, so how can we harness, just use them, because the more you use them, you know, it, 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 it's benefits, mm-hmm. you know, subway matter, yeah. uses endorphins, and just therapeutic. Right. Yeah, that's what I would do. I'd have the art garden, uh. have the rest. Uh, we'd be growing, like hanging out with like kids that we don't have enough land. Land trust, what? Are you kidding me? And land trust. I, if I had all the money in the world, if I had like bird money in them, guys, I'd be buying land. Yeah. Not, and leaving it to nature. Not like that. Touch it because if you leave nature alone, it comes back. So yeah, that's what I would do. I'd just set up a little. Uh, amazing. Documenting. Learning. I mean, there's plenty of sciences mm-hmm. you can teach through that. Bring schools mm-hmm. in. Connected to their curriculum. Oh. That's the dream. That's, you know, once I get my studio going in my house. Yeah. The small rooms. Awesome. I love it. Or I'd just be sailing, Rebecca, and painting and never hitting land. Yes. You just live on the water. Oh. Well, I mean, I'd hit land. I'd visit. Maybe you have a little bit of land for your garden that you can come back to. Yeah, I think it's possible to do all those good things. Why not? I mean, while well, everything, you know, Broken. Yeah. So since everything is broken, why not make it exactly as it should be? It's yeah. Bring it back and and fix it. Yeah. I think that now I'm coming back, like as we come yeah. back from this, you know, the, the folks are going to need even more to visually express what they can't verbally express because there's a lot of, uh, I think folks are overstressed. So it's not to be overstressed. Yeah. Absolutely. There's, yeah, so much anxiety right now. It's everywhere and it's hard to get away from it because it's tangible, it's real. Yeah. But 
parts for me it's it's parts process that always has you know brought me through trauma and crazy devastation so I understand yeah using the arts to help heal using the arts as therapy yeah I mean it's, it's taken me through that death of two mothers father two brothers uh, friends yeah through all that loss yeah it helps people i see it all the time it mm-hmm. helps kids all the time yeah and what is what is life looking like for you right now i guess it would be a two-part question what is what does your week look like now with all this sort of you know pandemic situation and and what was it what how was your sort of running back and forth to different schools and stuff what did that look like before well that was like you know the usual drill all the trains on the buses you know <laughs> yep we were going to school in the after school preparing i was preparing uh a series of self-portraits for uh the heart uh i was invited uh by Katrina jeffries to participate in show there as a part of the biennial they have the heart biennial and then they have the heart which is like all of the events around biennial yeah, show so that was the plan yeah that's what i was working on is teaching and so teaching my students teaching my kids teaching my you know my after school my chinese cultural center after school my usual group right and working with my seniors you know my, my elders and now, what am I doing? I am still making self-portraits. That's something I'm always making fun of. Never not. Uh, I'm now. I'm not developing lesson plans. I'm not, not in the schools. I'm not. Yeah. So that's different because generally I have another. I have that side of my brain turned on. Right. Yeah. So do you feel like it's it's giving you studio time that you really are are valuing and and sort of. Like, is it a, a just situation where now you have extra time? Well, I think it's always good to have just a time. Yeah. <laughs> so hard to come by. Always good. And it's, it's an odd way to have it, you know, coupled with financial strategies, right? But like, right. It's good. I mean, I have more time to mess up more. But yeah, I, I, have, uh, I should be more stressed, probably. But I, all I can do is make art. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. And it's kind of, I mean, I think of it also as is, is me stressing out about it going to actually change anything other than, you know, making me possibly less healthy and happy and able to, to use this time. Is it actually going to change the situation? You know, no. Uh, no, it's not. It, it really isn't. I, mean, it's a, I know there's a wisdom. I'm happy that I'm an artist because I have that. speaking art. Just, <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? It's folding into a new day. Those of you guys who have kids, you know, you're folding reality. Schedule around around the home. Doing animals and, you know, that. But seems like almost a responsibility. It's really going to stop making art now. Uh, no. So. Yeah. I have no conflicts about it. Yeah, that's good. And yeah, it feels like it is, it is, you were saying it's like a responsibility to keep making, to not stop now. And I feel like it's almost mostly a responsibility to myself just to let it be that sort of therapy that it is. Yes, and to document yourself in this time because mm-hmm. yeah. it's quite difficult to see yourself and that's why I self studies and I think if I I'm always really intrigued by artists when they do self it's 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 I understand that it's a way for them to see themselves. Mm-hmm. So that's for me it's a way for me to see myself, seeing self you know, like yeah. way of uh, and that's also why I like to incorporate it into this classroom to that practice. Put yourself in context. Right. And to step back and observe, observe yourself. Exactly, exactly. It's very important because as much as we selfies and we seem very self-absorbed, we are not self-aware. Hmm. Awareness by getting with yourself, a little bit with yourself, step back, 
It's almost like astral projecting. Uh-huh. Almost have to astral project. And that's tough, but it's it's not a an easy thing to do. It's a lot of reflection. Yeah. So I think that's kind of key. And that's one thing that I learned from see the difference in someone who's self absorbed and then self aware. It's the difference in behavior. Mm-hmm. Especially, I mean, you notice it with older students. They're sort of like they've given themselves the space just to get into their own heads for a minute. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. Shoulders relaxed. Had some time to work out a drawing. Yeah. It just gives you a minute with yourself. Don't take minutes. Mm-hmm. It's possible to take a minute with yourself and you're not there. You're outside of yourself. Yeah. And that's where your your visualization and sort of centering, I feel like those exercises are such, make such an impact. So this is something in my own practice I take for granted. I'm just there, just there. I'm there on purpose. Uh-huh. But it takes, if there's no intention, then you're not going to, then you're going to need to be just getting to recognize your own body, understand your own body, feel your shoulders, feel your hands, feel your Right. What are you looking it's a quick transition to do it. People exercise to do it. People do all kinds of things to do it, but just showing that, that little tool to a little person or to a high school person or a middle school person, you know, reminding them to do things. We always have to be reminded of things on guard and we are trained to look into a device now. Kids are addicted to it. A lot of my high school students, they are just straight up addicted. Yeah. Now I just say, I know you're addicted. I'm sorry. You know, I'm like, I'm sorry, guys. They're all itching and twitching. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I know you're like, it's going to have to be going now. Okay, let's just work, work, work it yeah. out with that gel pen. Adults the same thing. Oh, uh, I, yeah. I have no problems, no compulsions to grab some paint and throw it around. I understand the benefit of it. Here to, I'm here to share. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I'm, there is such an addiction now to it. And I'm, I get there sometimes where I'm like, oh, I need to check. I need to share or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, the first, the first addiction is, is art making. Throw some paint around. Well, no, no, I mean, as an art maker, like you, like we need to get a little more addicted to like the device You know, <laughs> you get good and you're like, okay, I'm going to post some stuff. I'm going to, they just fall off. No, like there's an exchange, right? There's an exchange. We can learn from the youth on in terms of how to quickly use the device and, you know, teach the students how to targetedly use this. Yeah. It has its place. I mean, it's uh, how to use technology, how to evolve with technology. It's happening. Yeah. And now it's more important than ever as a way to stay connected. Yes. I mean, here here we are talking across the country. Exactly, exactly. And so it yeah. has its benefit. It's just balance, on balance. Like yeah, yeah. Where and how, and it's possible to do it. I know people do it. I know people balance. I mean, you have folks like Andy Wiley, who was like this wildly successful you know, contemporary artist. You know, he's opening up residencies all over Africa. And, yeah. Oh. You know, like Blackrock and making yeah. And you were talking earlier about wanting to put an app an application to be able to go to Jamaica. Would you want to talk more about that? Yeah, you know, I've I've been wanting to I've been looking for a school or an organization in Jamaica, you know, through friends of friends for a while. Yeah. I haven't done, I mean, I, and I did a light research, like there are a few schools, it's just really about moving up from school. Basically, I would like to do a series of workshops with educators and volunteers with special needs population. I don't know if it's, I, I know they have a drive. I don't know if they have a District 75 per se. I think it's like here, there's inclusion. Mm-hmm. I'd like to do smart workshops with the little ones with yeah. In logistics, that's, I've been wanting to do something diaspora and specifically in Jamaica since I'm from, and it would be just a nice way to spend some time there that is useful. Right. While I'm chilling out on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then body surface. So, you <laughs> mangoes. Yeah. But that's something I would like to do. It's the 50th anniversary of my mother's passing. Uh. And I've been wanting to go back. To make it a spend some time. She 
Wow. Which is uh, in the same plan. Um, so, you know, spend some time there and then you know, just do residencies there. I mean, that would be all a Fulbright fellowship application where I could be, be linking up with the school just making it happen. Yeah. But either way, that is what I would like to do. I mean, I, I also, I've been lately wanting to teach myself again how to sign. Because when I went, I went, when I went to school, I learned how to sign. Yeah. I like to work with the deaf mom doing some visual works. I want to know what sound looks like. That would be an interesting story for individuals to tell. Ooh, yeah. So either that, either the, you know, special ed on the spectrum or the deaf community specifically. You know, I need to teach myself sign again. That's that's where I'd like to take the next steps. Working in the school system, working in the community. Here has been great. It's been 10 years. I've never been in New York for 10 years. I've been in my whole adult life. I've always traveled. I've always moving around. Yeah. yeah. So. so you're, are you starting to feel like an itch to move again, get out? and? Yes. Yeah, so yeah. I, I want to get on the water. I want to sail. I mean, I, I just want to water mm-hmm. yeah a lot of money to do that <laughs> right. Right. I don't want to do it. Oh, you need a patron <laughs> I need a patron but yeah I, I, I would like to say I, I always hmm. there's certain places I want to hit I was looking forward to going to um, spend see West Africa because I'd only really gone to East Central and Southern I hadn't been to West mm-hmm. so Either way, you know, I'll do inside out projects somewhere. I'd like to, you know, if I do this make I'd also do an inside out project with some kids there. You know, there's there's all kinds of great activated actions that happen. Yeah. Wherever you go in the world. So I think that the knowledge that I gained by working as as a subcontractor for the DOE is informative and, and helpful and it's linking me up with some fantastic educators. It's, Got me in the classroom with a lot of fantastic questions. Yeah. You know, moving forward with this virus and whether it's changing the face of society, you know, it's definitely, I've been saying this a while now, about there needs a new paradigm in a way. Yeah. And, you know, if someone like me sets out and sets up the art farm, then, you know, mm-hmm. who I know who are educators in the current system will have resources. Right. And that benefits from these years of experience by this desires. Create another experience, another creative experience. I just really want folks who I share process with to come into a student and come into an environment where it's all alive. Yeah. So almost reversing the idea of sending the teacher, the artist, teaching artist out into the school. It's bring the kids to me and to the studio and to the art garden or art right. farm, you know, or, or yeah. give the teaching artist that that access as well. You know, like, however, we can bring the studio to the classroom. In the classroom, the art teacher can bring it. You know, just expand. Let it be an experiential moment for that individual to understand that art is happening inside of their school and outside of their school. Yeah, where it's happening. What it feels like having society. Yeah. Do you think that's possible online? Is that possible? Where while everyone is kind of hunkering down, if it if what what would that look like? Is that sharing videos or is it something more interactive? Yeah, I mean, it seems like it's happening in sharing videos. It's like smartest that are putting out videos, making videos. It's all of those things, all of those things that are happening, and more and more of it. Right? Like I say, more of it. The more people approach it with their different twists, and absolutely, as long as there's you know this connection to that individual, their hand, their implement on their substrate. As long as the process involves them touching something that they make that is not a screen, they can perceive. Once we separate the connection of making something that is tangible, that is experiential, once we take the book out of their hand, Mm -hmm. the information can come from a screen, but the practice has to be on some sort of substrate, paper on glass, painted soil, the stick like the interaction the making process can't be with the street making process has to be with the body has to be made of matter yeah and that goes back to that idea of of the action you were talking about earlier the process exactly it it all comes back to you it's it's a grounding grounds your mind into your body into your action i tend to make these lines i make this 
I don't intend to make these lines, I make these lines. I make conversation that is happening with yourself and your body. There's too much of a conversation happening right now with mechanical device in the body. So just use the mechanical device because we all are inside. You can't lose the contact with the body. And art making keeps you in contact with your body. So yeah, the, the, the videos that are happening, the instructional pieces that are happening. I, I just always say that, you know, if you're doing it with your little one, you know, a lot of friends are friends. I know it might be taking instruction from a screen, but I just don't want us, while we're making, let's make things together. Not if there are two people in a room, let's make something together. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of starting to wrap up. I have some just kind of fun, more like get to know you questions. Is there anything you're curious about right now? Anything at all? Yeah. I'm always curious about neuroscience. Mm. How the different parts of our brain communicate with each other. Yeah. How that drives our actions. I'm intrigued by the fact that when we see something, our brains won't gather up every image that we've seen that references this thing. Huh, right. I'm really intrigued by how when we are here, our amygdala does its thing, and then like you know, the, the reasoning part, you know, the frontal cortex, our bits, has to reason and step it out. Uh-huh. And you are really in fear that two communication just bounces off of each other. It almost overrides each other. I am intrigued by the fact that everything wants to live, right? Like viruses, parasites, like I had malaria four times. Wow. Oh. And that was my first understanding of how inconsequential. I mean, when I was sailing, I got just how inconsequential we are. How a little mosquito uses... Just wants to anesthetize you and this parasite living in that liquid and it just Yeah. And I'm intrigued by viruses, they're the same thing. They're just kind of they're smarter even. They don't want to kill us, you know. They wanna make us sick enough to reduce and they're reducing, but they just wanna like they'll keep us alive. Just <laughs> 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 until they reproduce. It's I'm intrigued by small things that are bigger than we are. Yeah. How I watched the documentary on the 1918 pandemic. I'm intrigued by how we do make the same mistakes over and over. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <Okay>. Wow. <sighs> yeah, repeating history and often the worst parts of it. Yeah, I'm intrigued by giraffes, mm. elephants. They're just so cool. I'm intrigued by animals. I mean, I'm intrigued by life. I'm intrigued by other things based on survival, like hummingbirds. I'm intrigued by everything. Right. I think that's part of being an artist, that you're just, your eyes are always wide open and you're you're kind of, yeah, curious about so many things. I'm intrigued by little people and how they like, Yes. you know, when I see your little person, I'll be like, look at how, look at, look at little, little Rebecca and look at, you know, I'm intrigued <laughs> by how, I'm intrigued by how you're, if you had a sister, your daughter probably looks like her. She does. I mean, she, she does. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? <laughs> she looks more like my sister than me. Yes, it's weird. It's like, this is, yeah. Oh. I'm intrigued by all of those things. What the heck? What? How did you give birth yeah. to your sister? <laughs> <laughs> oh. I said that to my, my sister-in-law. I was like, how did you give birth to by your husband's sister? <laughs> Why does she look like me? Right. It's so crazy. It's so wild to have to have that little person. <laughs> and that little voice. I'm intrigued by children's little voices. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm intrigued by how they'll just randomly walk up to you and say shit. <laughs> no bearing on anything. Right. All serious, like they mean it. Yeah. My daughter gets upset with us if we if we laugh when, you know, because she, she'll tell us something in all seriousness and it's just the most hilarious, random thing. And we kind of laugh and she's like, don't laugh at me. I didn't say nothing funny. I'm serious. I'm so sorry. I'm not laughing at you. You're just adorable. No, it's like, really? What? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, another really just kind of fun random question. Speaking of random things kids say, <laughs> what is your go-to order at your favorite restaurant? It's a hard one, especially in New York. There's so much good food. Well, 
Yeah. I'll leave. I go to order any recipe, whether it's by the beach or in the city. It's a plate of fish, rice, and some nice fresh vegetables. Mm. So, salmon and rice, fish, rice, and vegetables anywhere in the world. Yeah. Uh, it's good stuff. You know, any day of is there anything else you would want to share? Yeah, you know, I I just, I hope that folks get a good time to sort of be with themselves, do something that gives them their joy and some time to reflect. Yeah. Other than seeing a lot of, sensing a lot of stress and anxiety, which is normal, mm-hmm. times of change. But like I always like to quote Octavia Butler, characters from Parable of the Soa always said, change is God. To me, that means just change is normal. It's, you don't evolve without it. Yeah. You don't evolve, we extinct. So either is it not a is it a linear choice or not a linear choice? It's like one or the other, right? It's like either you embrace change that is inevitable or be changed inevitable. We we can evolve. We should evolve. I thought we were more evolved than we are. (laughs) (laughs) Baby steps. Yeah. Baby steps. Yeah. Everything is cool and like stop buying toilet paper. Like really right. You got enough. Embarrassing already. Oh, no, like embarrassing, embarrassing to be a human. With the toilet paper already. Oh, to each other. Yeah, to ourselves. And I think again, we need to get with ourselves a little bit more. Just be kind to ourselves. Yeah, space, literally space. I mean, it's all take everything that's happening as metaphor, and maybe it would be easier to understand what's happening. We need to chill and be kind to ourselves. Yes. Make art. Make art. Buy art. Buy art. Make and art. make art. Teach art. Share art. Yes. Yeah. Keep art going. Yeah. Keep keep it alive. It's, it's what has always saved us. It's what mm-hmm. will always save us. It's the artists. All genres. It's sit back and observe. We participate and observe. We observe and observe. Body and we observe. Mm-hmm. Work and we observe. It all comes from a place of love. It's our job. Yeah. It's that Oh. has its place it's very important and you know artists don't stop making art need you yes oh. educators don't stop sharing the process yeah now more than ever now more yeah and is there is there anyone that you would want to give like a shout out to or thank the artists you know the educators for sure. yeah the artists who give their art Lives. The unsongs, the untolds. Mm-hmm. We're all interested to hear it. Yes, tell your story. We're all interested to see it. Yeah. No, I am. I love seeing a lot of research and stuff. People are making a lot of beautiful work and expressive. And there are a lot of voices in the chorus. So. There's always room for more voices. Oh my gosh. It's, that's the whole point to it. I mean, yeah. it's your calling. Better answer it. Absolutely. For a reason, yeah. Everybody's talking about eleven, eleven. I keep seeing eleven, eleven. I'm like, well, go on then. Get <laughs> to it. <laughs> Everybody's voice is important. So yeah, it's how we learn. It's how the ones that come after us will learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe we can we can stop repeating history. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> uh... I don't. I'm just watching. We're watching. Uh... We're watching it happen. And obviously, you know, it's like when you have a bad dream about something that you need to address in your life and dream gets worse and worse and worse and worse. So huh. you address it. Yeah. And once you address it, it goes away. I have that experience. Yeah. Many people have had that experience. It's like huh. a, it's one of those like 101 things. So we deal with the underlying situations and issues that would make someone like him a reality. I mean, you know, if we're worried about toilet paper, not about healthcare workers getting what they need. Then, right. Uh, it's real. It's realism. So, but again, it's, it can be resolved. It, it, we can do things. Yeah. We can change our ways. This reaction also shows us, you know, what you've, you've been here. I've been hearing the young climate activists saying like, we knew it was possible. <laughs> this, you know, the response to the virus is what we needed for the climate. Right, right, right. And so, you know, the response to the virus, there's a way that we are treating each other and dealing with each other that has to be addressed one way or the other. Yeah. Book. So you know, now it's being addressed. It's California and the homeless situation. Oh. Really? <laughs> like, really? Now it has to be addressed, right? So Yeah, it's it's insane just to see that. You know what I mean? It's like when you're a teenager and you know, your parents are like, do your laundry. You're not going to have no teeth. 
<laughs> we don't do laundry. We don't have no clean clothes. <laughs> and you need clean clothes because everything smells really bad. Well, whose fault is that? That, you mm-hmm. know, now you funky because you didn't do your laundry. Yeah. Expecting nature. We build on volcano, on lava and wonder why our house just burned right. down from a volcano. We overbuild and we wonder why right. there are brush fires. We burn down all of our houses. So it's, no, but the answer is, yeah, folks, just sort of, gee, you should get more, but. It is possible. I think so. I think so. I mean, it's just, you have to be willing to change our behavior. Yeah, absolutely. So I know that it's possible for us to sort of uh, make that happen on a larger scale, but I think that's not going to happen until we have women's power. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So until we sort that out. Oh, eventually it'll happen. We'll get there. I wanted to ask one last thing. Where can listeners connect with you online? Just my Instagram and then my website is camellaallen.com. D-A-M-E-L-L-A-A-L-L-E-N.com. Awesome. And I will link to that in the show notes. That's my website. It's the easiest way to check out the work. It's new in studio. And also you can see some of my teaching arts work, jewelry, accessories yes wearables goes on and on and on yes and we didn't even really talk about that we didn't get into the cottage industry but so much again yeah marketing bad at marketing (laughs) it's so hard there's so much i mean there's there's a lot happening and and it seems like i appreciate this conversation yes thank you so much for taking the time and It was great to talk with you. Keep up the good work over there. Thank you. You too. Hang in there. Keep it up. I loved what Pamela said about creating space. Space for making art, for looking at art, for sharing ideas. Space for healing, for connecting with nature and with each other. That is so needed right now. She also mentioned teaching art with no supplies. Zero. Nothing. She drew in the dirt with her students. How apt is that, as art teachers everywhere are trying to figure out how to teach online to students who might just have no supplies. Go follow Pamela, send her a note, buy her work if you can. Now is the time to support artists and small businesses. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can reach me at Teaching Artist Podcast on Instagram or Teaching Artist Podcast at gmail.com. Who do you want to hear from? Please share your recommendations of teaching artists. And if you loved this episode, please subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow me. It really makes a big difference. Thank you. Thank you.